Pokemon into the show. My name is Danny Gallagher, and I'm joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the Hebrew hammer on drums himself. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? It's a big day, my friend. So March 11th, which it is right now. I know mm-hmm. this is the March 12th episode. And this particular March 11th marks the 10-year anniversary of the earthquake in Japan mm. that I was in with Gaslight Anthem. Uh, very uh, crucial and pivotal moment obviously for japanese people i mean that's their flashbulb moment of the last 20 years but a huge one for me that's stuck with me really hardcore all these years and actually definitely taken my life into some different forks it may not have gone if i didn't experience that so it's uh it's a big day for me that being 10 years dive into that a little further like like what kind of realizations did you get out of that uh, I mean, it, it's actually pretty simple, and I don't really mind talking about it. Yeah. The the first and second days I woke up in Tokyo, and we're talking like aftershocks through the night, like impending nuclear disaster. You know what I mean? It was not like when the earthquake ended, the you know how tense it was ended. And twice, two mornings in a row, I woke up and had never in my life woken up going great. I'm glad to wake up. Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure if I was gonna, you know? Uh, and I think it was that simple delineation of, of every day potentially being your last. And I know it's cliche, but if you can manage to walk around with a little reminder every day that every situation could kill you, not to the point of being morbid or weird, but just carrying that with you. I think it's an important thing to remember and uh, keeps you away from fantasy land and just grounded in the fact that every moment is special. That's why I got this tattoo. Mm. My finger. Look it's at hard that. hard in reverse. Yeah. <laughs> but 1131 for this date. And I intentionally put it on my finger somewhere I can see it just so I could have that kind of like constant reminder. Do you think that already like having that knowledge kind of made this past year easier where I think people have come to a lot of realizations about life and it's uh how short it it really is so do you think that that helped you this year i do nice yeah i think i think that perspective is gonna get to carry with me forever and i can even impart it to my kids a little bit Mm. it's just one of those things it's like uh you, you try to take something like this and and carry it with you every day there's a number of things i do that with and i think this is important and then to think nine years later on that exact same date, you know, the pandemic hits, Rudy yeah. Gobert swipes some reporter's cell phones and the whole world goes into lockdown. It's pretty crazy. It, it is truly bizarre uh, now that March 11th has taken on kind of a double meaning, yeah. you know, it's when these arbitrary days just happen for whatever reason. And this one is uh, very impactful because, you know, I frame everything in my life via basketball. Of so- course. March 11th is the Rudy Gobert day. I know I listened to a whole ESPN daily special about him having the reclamation of his name and stuff. Now, listen, he'll always be the stifle tower, right? Great basketball player. We'll see if the jazz ever won a title, (laughs) but that guy's forever going to be known for that. I'm sorry. March 11th in America is the Rudy Gobert day. Yeah. It's so crazy. You know, just a couple of reporters that we have on the radio, a bunch, uh, one being Sarah Todd. Her life kind of changed that day because they were like, Jazz don't have many. For these small market teams, they don't have many reporters. 
right? So you had like like Sarah Todd of like the Desert News, mm-hmm. Tony Jones of the Athletic. These three reporters out here witnessing it and were part of of the story. And now, I mean, the 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 books and all that stuff that will come. So uh, you never want to profit off of a pandemic, but you know, if if, if you're helping tell a story about a day that kind of changed the country. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I got to say one thing. I, I in, a, in defense of Rudy Gobert, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think most people, if you can be empathic, <laughs> take yourself out of yourself for a minute and imagine you're him and imagine it's on the day it's on. Yeah. And things like that. There is a more open window to fucking around at that point. Right. right. Yeah. Like, we weren't so terrified. We didn't know. We didn't know exactly what was happening. And I could see a, a ill-timed joke, you know what I mean, at that time going wrong. And the only reason I say it is because, fuck, like, I don't know. I could see myself doing some dumb shit like that, too. <laughs> and you know what's kind of funny? In preparation for this, I went to listen back to... We did a podcast last year, the day before things went crazy. That's and right. we were talking about all the Nets' troubles. Well, that kind of worked out nicely. Yeah, yeah. Um, Wait, let me ask you something. Were yeah. we... Because I can't remember. Were yeah. we talking even cautiously at that point? Or were we still just like rolling right along? No, we were like, what's next? And you know what's funny? You know what's actually kind of interesting about it? We kind of skirted the subject because we weren't really... So So we go straight from normal tune-up into... Now, that's what I call madness. And we talk about the pandemic and everything that happened for like five minutes. And then we we're <laughs> right. just business yeah. as usual so yeah yeah we've probably think, talked about it more now than we did yeah. back then to think like two or three days later than that i was literally loading my family up and like escaping the city yeah you know <laughs> pretty fucking crazy how that developed it's funny because our like back and forth at the beginning of that podcast was you talking about a show that you played in boston <laughs> where you came home at 5 30 in the morning and your kids yeah. woke up a couple of minutes later. Right. But that was one of the reasons I started getting freaked out was yeah. I played these two shows of Mercy Union right, you know, at the end of February, like when stuff was ramping up. And already people were acting so strangely at these shows. Like people are like, are we shaking hands? Hmm. This is cool. We're definitely not hugging. Yeah. And I found myself at both of those shows kind of like being a little standoffish, standing in a corner and having a scotch by myself because yeah. I was like, I, I kind of knew it just knew everybody knew something was <laughs> brewing here. Just no one knew what the fuck it was yet. You know, yeah. it's so crazy. I mean, like full disclosure to the listening audience, I haven't seen Benny in, in person in the flesh <laughs> in like a whole true. year. And we've it's been true. doing this every week. It's so true. listen from here down, <laughs> it's a 12 pack. Denny. I'm looking great. All right. <laughs> I bet you are. I bet yeah. you are. All right. Well, we've talked about this day last year. Let's talk about this day in music history. This day in 1956, Steve Harris was born. Now, I talk about this. Steve Harris, bass player, founder of Iron Maiden. Mm -hmm. He's born in London, England. And the thing I didn't know about him was that he gave up his dreams of playing professional football or soccer to form Iron Maiden. Hmm. It turned out he was actually scouted by a man named Wally St. Pierre, Mm -hmm. and he was asked to train for West Ham United to become a professional footballer. Hmm. And he was already so involved in music then, he decided to pass it up and start a band. 
and he started Iron Maiden. So I thank you, Steve Harris, for this choice. Unknown to most people, Steve Harris is the primary songwriter and driving force in Iron Maiden. He literally invented the Gallup bass that you've heard in metal and even punk and stuff like that moving forward. But the one thing is interesting. Iron Maiden has always had a very bombastic, lively show. Yeah. And I wonder, he's an athletic guy. I didn't realize that. We got a footballer jumping around on the stage there. So thank you, Steve Harris, for being born and giving up your dreams of playing football (laughs) so I could enjoy Iron Maiden for the rest of my life. Man, the amount of of athletes that were like great musicians. It's kind of like when you're blessed with talent, you kind of, it. it just in spades across the board. Honestly, it may have more to do with work ethic than anything. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, no, I think you're right. Cause even, you know, you le- read a little more about Steve Harris moving on, you know, he was the type that, uh, apparently rock and Rio, you know, their most mm-hmm. famous live album with the great version of fear of the dark. Uh, apparently when he got that back, he was displeased with the quality, taught himself all video editing equipment and actually edited the film himself. So I think just that little story probably lends to your point that Steve Harris is a, an obsessive tireless worker type and it probably paid into both things. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love a good transition. And I don't have one here. <laughs> so on this day in 1975, oh, this is going to be a very me one, so people just bear with me here. On this day in 1975, ABBA recorded Mamma Mia at Metronome Studios in Stockholm. Uh, at first, the band did not want to put it out as a single. It may have ended up on the scrap heap. RCA was like, no, you need to put this out. Uh, kind of brisk back and forth there. And eventually, the song comes out, probably much to the band's... Uh, dismay and it goes number one all around the world so benny i always love to turn the tables on you when we get to this segment have you ever had a song that you were like no get this out of here and a record label was like this needs to be on the record not that acutely yeah uh for sure like but the thing we ran into was which songs make the album Mm. And which songs lead the album and things like that. And that's where we got into it with some record labels often, where it was like, this song needs to be on. This song is not a B-side. This song should be on, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, often maybe there's a good reason for that. But to me, what I found is that at that point in the record, at that stage in the game, if people see something of value, they find a way to put their opinion into it so if and when it becomes successful they can tell everybody about the hand they played um and more often than not i think a lot of people hear and see perfect albums they're not musicians themselves and they just got to put this one thing in like oh i could just use a little more guitar in this song or i think maybe this should be the b-side and this shouldn't and i think often they're very unfounded and then just there for people's own self-indulgence. Any any person you're trying to drag there? I don't know, like um, maybe a certain guy with the last name of Iveen that rocks, <laughs> walks into a Springsteen session and is like, oh, great record, guys, great record. And then he gets 2%. No, <laughs> I think, no, we're way off, actually, because you're talking about someone who is 
a proper like genius organizer of music and artists who knows how to do it and produce great records. I'm talking about the suits. Oh, you know, I'm talking about when you have a listening party. Yeah. And there's like six people in uh, expensive blazers and T-shirts <laughs> and, and Reeboks pretending to be sneakerheads, usually with some brightly colored watch and uh, an enthusiasm that doesn't really fit the situation. That's the crew I'm talking about. Sounds like I'd fit right in. No, just kidding. <laughs> Enthusiasm that doesn't match the situation. Anyway, plowing ahead here. All right, Benny. So, you know, we're going to start off with a music headline here. So I read a review of Drake's latest album, Scary Hour 2, and it caught me off guard here because, well, the, the review was in Rolling Stones. Go read it if you want to. Very, very well-written um, but it talked about how, you know, he has one freestyle on there with Rick Ross and the writer compared it to listening to Springsteen and Obama revel in their past glories and stuff like that. Kind of a space that hip hop especially mm -hmm. doesn't get to that much. And I know we've 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 touched on how Jay-Z is helping artists kind of come through here during the aging process. But I just wanted to get your temperature on it seems like throughout the course of popular music and i'm talking of course like 1950s on the aging of musicians that have hit this big has been really rough in fact we see him take a back mm -hmm. see a lot on this particular album um drake has a verse where he he goes in to be like i've, I've had it for this long do i even care like saying yeah. it so openly and stuff like that so sure. I'm, I'm just curious from your perspective uh if you've seen this up close and what does this look like from the actual musician perspective i have and what i see makes sense to what's going on so I, i'm not gonna begin to uh say i'm a big drake fan i don't i don't have a drake album right and i'm not a big uh it's not that I'm not a big fan. He just like, honestly, literally glossed over me. Yeah. Um, and so, so I can't say to going record to record what his actual career arc has been. I don't want to be right. presumptuous about that. But the thing now is that these guys and what they're doing, so much of it's now rooted in like branding and rooted in business there. As you said, there's not a great track record for bands and artists releasing albums this deep into your career, especially when you stay on kind of a two to three year album cycle sort of thing. Uh, I think your albums kind of just become vehicles to tour and it's only reasons to get out there, book another tour, go play your hits. And the current album is usually sort of an afterthought in that, unless you're really doing something exceptional. So everything he's talking about and the way I mean, you even said it. If he's writing songs about parent-teacher conferences, <laughs> the guy's like obviously disconnected from what's going on with kids. And he's really bright. If there's anything you can ever tell about Drake, so he's a really bright guy, yeah. so he must see it. So to me, I can see the logic in saying it's only a matter of time before the bust comes and you stay ahead of it and you market yourselves in various ways. It could also be a little bit of an indication since he's usually ahead of the game with how you release things that this is another move away from releasing albums yeah, and only dealing in songs and digital presentation 
uh, making these different kinds of packages that, you know, like, are we getting to the point that your modern listener cannot consume an entire album anymore? Mm, it's possible. It's possible yeah. And some people like Drake, you know, are staying ahead of the game and like, hey, I'm going to go song by song. I'm going to take four years off and release a song with a digital presentation and a crypto firewall and like all this crazy shit. Mm. And, you know, it might work. So I think uh, what you're saying might be true and we might have just the full-time Raptors fans on our hands. <laughs> what I'm really interested in about this, though, is it feels like the way songs break now is entirely different than even like five years ago. Like, I mean, how many during this pandemic, especially, have we seen people write a song, put it on TikTok, blows up top 40 hit but these people do not have a entire catalog to play at a show so like they can't tour yeah, yeah can't tour. so it's like if one of the byproducts of this digital age is you see more pop hits by a, a greater number of people but you're not seeing them out and about in these big stadium tours i just think it's sad and it, 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 it's a sad commentary on music. I don't think we'll get there because people love to have a good time, party, drink, and go listen to music. But, you know, who knows? But that's where you got to blame the artists, too. Mm. You know, like there are a lot of bands who sold significantly more records than Gaslight Anthem. Yeah. You know, I'm talking by the times of 10s, 20s, more albums than Gaslight Anthem who wish they could draw as many people as Gaslight Anthem. Yeah, that's true. There is hope out there. There's a glimmer. And I do I do think with every step of the digital revolution, there are going to be people that kind of, you know, want to take it the other way. And I think in a couple of years, when people start doing the right drugs again, <laughs> seeing te 10 musicians really well rehearsed in a room together, there's magic to that. Yeah. And that magic's not going away. So hopefully... You know, this goes to the absolute tipping point of what it is as far as face tattoos and cheesiness go. <laughs> and then we're going to reel it back a little bit. I want to see the next big TikTok band be like the Grateful Dead and just make just these long jams that yeah. like take 25 parts of, of, of a story for you to get I mean, there. can't you see it a little? Some of these younger rappers are getting like they're getting pretty trippy, man. Yeah. There's you know, a they're lot writing of... some pretty weird yeah. stuff. They're going on some sort of like journeys they're into drugs they're into different bands like just because it's packaged in yeah. a different way doesn't mean they're they're not going to go on the same trip you know it's a great evolution for hip-hop but in terms of you know just to put a bow on this entire conversation the headline of this particular thing was is drake retiring and i think because honestly i don't think anybody's really going to retire anymore but it's just moving on you know, Jay-Z provided the light of how to age as a hip-hop artist, and I could see Drake doing more of that. Yeah, makes perfect sense. All right, Benny, to the hardwood we go. And, boy, one of the, one of the best topics I think we do on this uh, on this podcast is we, we cancel people. We get people all the way <laughs> the heck out of here. We did You're Dr. Done. Seuss last week. Now we do somebody that actually deserves it. Myers <laughs> Leonard of the Miami Heat was on Twitch this past week and you know something went bad in his i think he was playing call of duty probably got killed um in the game and that's a very important thing to point out uh and he drops uh he drops insensitive language curses keeps going doesn't think anything of it actually before he cursed 
He paused, thought about what derogatory word he was going to say, put it out there. And this is all happening in real time. And, you know, Myers Leonard has now been suspended by the Miami Heat, loss of pay, all of that stuff going through sensitivity training and all mm-hmm. that stuff. So, Benny, I'm just going to. I'm just going to lob it up to you. What are your thoughts on Myers Leonard and how in the world this happens in 2021? First off, if we've learned anything, never trust a guy with two last names. <laughs> you know, like who's named the Myers? I've never met a person named Myers. Um, I don't know. So here's the thing I don't like about it. Well, there's a lot I don't like about it, but <laughs> let's talk about what I don't like about it moving forward. It's this admission that he made that he doesn't know what this word means, yeah. right? K-I-K-E. He says he doesn't know what it means, and that's when he used it. I think that's bullshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think a grown person in his late 20s who moved through the world and is on these teams and uh, went to college and did all these things, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. Like, that is a bogus excuse. But the alternative to the way he framed it is currently like what the Papa John's guy is doing, which is like, yeah, I used to use this word and I'm trying to train myself not to, which probably looks worse, Yeah, you know? So uh, I think he was saving himself in the idea that he had to say he didn't know what it meant. Every call he's made in the last couple of days, he got to play. I'm a fawn in the woods. I'm so sorry I stumbled into this language. How can I help myself get better? All this stuff, like I said, his intent, the fallout, all of it, I think it's horse shit. I think he knew what he was saying, and I think he said it. But now, in the spirit of what you were saying, I don't think he should be canceled. Because, like, what do you want to do? He, he was fined $50,000, which is the maximum. He willingly sought out the Anti-Defamation League. He's going to have to go to these classes and cultural training. I think the you know Jewish owner of the Miami Heat probably gave him a lot of business. I'm sure he's seeing a lot of money dwindling off his next contract. And it's like, what are you supposed to do with this guy? I have no interest in tapping fucking Myers Leonard up to a stake. I don't even have enough like mental capacity to do it. So if we can't believe in redemption... What are we doing here? Myers, moving on. Shut the fuck up and be honest. But what are you going to do? You know who I feel the worst for in this entire situation? Hmm. Nate Robinson. (laughs) No, no, no. Excuse me. Duncan Robinson. Wow. He's too busy getting, getting punched out by YouTubers. No, uh, Duncan yeah, Robinson, yeah. because I'm pretty sure most people that heard this thought, that, oh, this is Duncan Robinson and not Myers oh, Leonard. Oh, right, like, right. White right. guys on, on the heat. Canceled but, by default. You know, there's a funny fallout of this, though, is how Julian Edelman has become like the the Jewish voice of sports. Yeah. Which I think is kind of cool because, listen, we haven't had a lot of football players, you know? <laughs> and the uh, Josh Rosen thing didn't go so well. So I appreciate Edelman being out there inviting Myers Leonard to a Shabbat dinner. I thought that was cool. The other interesting thing now, Benny, you know, I've been trying to learn the ways of these kids, right, on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Myers Leonard's wife is out here in full voice. Almost she is to TikTok what Bradley Beal's wife is to Twitter. 
So, oh, is that right? So she has she she's had these sob posts about how poorly the fans in Portland, Oregon treated. They're like tra- chanting oh, yeah. trademark. Right. She's like, I stopped going to the games because they were mean to my husband. It's like, no, your husband sucked and they wanted to get value back. Like, get out of here. So sounds like the end. The end might be nigh for the the Leonardses. Yeah, yeah. No. So <laughs> w- w- what I'm saying here is a guy who. Eh, Decent numbers, but like not. I think marginal. that people marginal are, Yeah, people are much more forgiving if you're a superstar and your talent. We talk about this a lot right. on on, yeah. on this podcast. What people are willing to forgive versus the level of talent that you have. I'm not saying your career's over, but you know, your career's yeah, over. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to say that as as gently as possible because if I need to book him as a guest on a show in the future, I I yeah. do not need this coming back. Listen, I mean, one of the problems is his actual word. Yeah. You know, there's like five words in the pantheon that are the real hard R words, you know? This is one of them. Yeah. This is the N word with a hard R for a Jewish person. You know what I mean? Like, this is the real one. This is the one that people use to, like, you know, carry out World War II. It's just as bad as anything. This is the kind of word where where your tongue stops when it hits the top of your mouth and says, do you really want to say this one? No, no. <laughs> I, know. I know. All right. <clears throat> well, we well we managed to get through that smoothly. I mean, I wouldn't fight Myers Leonard. Oh, I would. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I I don't want you know. I've I learned with the passing thing on this podcast that I should not write checks that my body physically can't cash. <laughs> anyway, sure. moving on to the Hall of Fame and the 2021 Naismith Hall of Fame class was announced this past week. Uh, some notable people that have really been all time snub guys from the Hall of Fame. Uh, so. Now, I'm just going to run through the, the list here. Number one, leading off, Bill Russell going in as a coach. Here for that. Um, but then here's just a couple other names. We have uh, two-time champion Rick Adelman. Uh, we have Chris Bosh. Michael Cooper up for the hall. Paul Pierce up for the hall. Yolanda Griffith. Uh, Lauren Jackson. Marion Stanley. By the way, put all those ladies in. Just please. <laughs> Um, let's see. What else do we got? Uh, we have Tim Hardaway is up for it. Ben Wallace, Chris Weber, your favorite player's favorite player, Marcus Johnson and Letta Andrews. So Benny, uh, you know, the, the Naismith basketball hall of fame has probably the most liberal voting policy. Uh, guys only need like seven of nine votes in, in the America's group and then even less percentage in the women's group. So who of this group are you putting in the hall of fame? It should be all of them, but we can't do that for debate's sake. So who you got? So, so obviously we could get into this for a long time. There's a few things I got to say right off the bat. I don't follow these women's programs close enough to know which one of those people is or isn't qualified for the hall of fame. So I just have to stay away from it. I'm afraid I'm going to stay in my wheelhouse here, which is the NBA. Rick Adelman, also don't know. Probably don't think he should be in. Bill Russell, for sure. Yeah. Now, here's the things I want to talk about. Chris Weber is not a Hall of Famer. That's I'm ridiculous. Sorry. He's That's a five-time so ridiculous. All-Star, but no rings. Led the league in rebounds once. He was a bigger name than a player. I love those Kings teams, but I really, you look into his stats, he's a high-volume long time player and i really do i think the name 
was bigger than what we were seeing on the court. I give him credit for potentially like changing the power forward position and starting to use it in a different way than was currently used. But I don't think he's in now. Can I people who I do question? Yeah. Can you tell the story of basketball without Chris Webber? Can you tell the story of basketball without Chris Webber? Maybe not. I don't think he can. Okay. Maybe not. Maybe not. But his story was largely written by his mistakes and failures, right? (laughs) No offense, Chris, but it is. All right. So here's the shoe-ins, okay? I hate to say it because he's born and died in green. Paul Pierce Mm. is a Hall of Famer. He's like top 20 all time in games, field goals, attempts, steals, points. He's top 10 in free throws and threes. He's got a ring. He's a 10-time All-Star. He's in. Chris Bosh, because of his shortened career and the high level of teams he was on, is also in. He's an 11-time All-Star, which is almost every season he was in the league. Two rings. He averaged a double-double for three separate seasons. Chris Bosh is also in. Mm -hmm. Now, here are the ones I want to advocate for. Okay. Okay? You know I'm a defensive guy. Yeah. Michael Cooper. I mean, come on. That guy played in 82 games for the Lakers six times. He played in 80 games eight times. He's got five rings. He stretched the floor, a good three-point shooter, and he covered the other team's best player for five championship runs. Mm -hmm. I think that gets you into the Hall of Fame. Just even, and and I'm not talking this is like a Robert Ory affiliation with these teams. This is a, a key center point of this team that needed him to operate in that way. Now, this one is just near and dear to my heart. Ben Wallace is one of my favorite players of all time. Okay. He's just, I loved everything about him. When he came in at 6'9, fucking stone hands. You're like, what is this guy even going to do in the league? And he just dominated anywhere near the glass. I mean, this guy was so much fun. He was actually a four time all star. Mm-hmm. He led the league in rebounding twice, he had four straight seasons with over 12 rebounds and three blocks. He had seven straight seasons with over 11 rebounds and two blocks a game. Uh, And believe it or not, he had four seasons with a win share over 10. Your boy, Chris Webber only had two seasons with a win share over 10. (laughs) And that was on the fucking Sacramento Kings with Peja Stojakovic and Mike Bibby and Doug Christie, these really, (laughs) really awesome Kings teams. So I give Ben Wallace some love Mm -hmm. and I need him in there. All right, I just want to go on there. Man, you, every time with this podcast, you get me to like put my neck out in the line for someone that I, I believe in, but like I'm not willing to put my name on. Chris <laughs> Weber is one of those guys. Now, I want to tell you who I'm not going to put in, all right? Yeah, okay. Jay Wright, get all the way the heck out of here. Villanova no coach. Not yet, not yet. I want yeah. you in eventually, but who knows? In, in a couple of years, you could be like, I'm going to try my hand at the NBA, right? Yeah. So... If listen, if 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 Rick Adelman's not in yet, and the guy they pretty much gave Biggs the liberty to kind of stretch the floor, kind of created that that position. Um, so you a hundred percent can't tell the story of basketball. And and the reason why, you know, the it's an important thing anytime we talk about the Hall of Fame, right? These are mm-hmm. museums that tell the story of the history of basketball. That's what people are voting on. That's really the most important thing when it comes to all of it. Now, there's an argument that you can make to be like, all these people tell the story of basketball, but some are bigger than others. Of course. Okay, so 
a hundred percent Adelman and Bosch. Um, yeah, a hundred percent first time. Michael Cooper's been winning a long time. Yes, please. I think you know just for the reverence that people have for Bill Russell, absolutely. Yeah. Um, going in as a coach. Now I think okay. Normally, I also think the caveat to Bill Russell there. I believe he was the first black coach. Yeah, in the NBA first well, black so. coach. It'd be yeah. a heck of a year to honor that legacy, especially yeah. given yeah. everything that, that we're trying to do out here. Uh, so Yolanda Griffith, uh, WNBA All Star, two-time Olympic gold medalist, gold medalist. That's big in women's basketball. Put her in. Uh, Lauren Jackson. Oh my gosh, I don't know if you remember watching her, but uh, seven-time WNBA All Star, three-time MVP. Anytime you're a three-time MVP, write, write your it. ticket on, on, on the Springfield. Sure. sure. And then we get down, you know, a little further down the list. Man, so when Michael Jordan was at North Carolina, he had a poster of Mr. Johnson on his wall. Mm-hmm. And the same for most guys of that era because he was a high flyer. He was the highlight reel before you were on House of Highlights. And not to mention my personal affinity for this guy. Every time I text him to come on a show, he comes on. Great guy. <laughs> but he is your favorite player's favorite player. Anybody of that Michael Jordan era, they were influenced and wanted to be like him. So shout out to him. Um, and he also, by the way, can when, still dunk. Went, still and dunk, was involved in those games on the set of Space Jam, the first right, one, not this right, one, right, right, right. Uh, where everybody was out there in Hollywood hooping and was, for a lot of these guys, the first time that they met their childhood hero and put them all to shame by dunking on them. So <laughs> definitely have to be in. I'm right there with you also with Ben Wallace, Paul Pierce. Those guys have to go in. Um it's very interesting with, with Chris Webber. Will he get seven of the nine votes that he needs? I think he might. Um, because, like I said, you cannot tell the story of basketball without the Fab Five. Arguably the biggest member of the Fab Five, Chris Webber, has to go in. What can I say? What can I say? <laughs> you look at the numbers. I look at the numbers, okay? Oh, Jesus. You can take the names away. I'm just looking at the numbers here. <laughs> well, speaking of numbers... Benny, we have some people trying to either get contracts, move to a different area code, stuff like that. That's right. We have a potential movement before the deadline in a couple different scenarios, obviously. And we're going to start because this is pretty much a Nets podcast before anything else. Mm-hmm. Benny, your Brooklyn Nets this past week added a multiple-time all-star, the mayor Six. of Lob City. Blake Griffin, your favorite comic's favorite comic. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> joins your Brooklyn Nets. What are your immediate thoughts? I like it, man. Yeah, I, I think it's super low risk. Um, you know, he got out of that contract, came to the Nets on a veteran minimum. It's the slots we have available. We had three slots available for it. If you look at the available talent, I don't know who fits into the slot we need yeah. better than Blake Griffin. It's actual... It's an actual real piece we need because when we're going in small ball lineups, when we're trying to get rid of DeAndre Jordan off the floor because that chokes everything up sometimes, we're using Jeff Green. Jeff Green is a functional player. I like him, but he cannot cover fives. He cannot cover real fours. And I think there's a Jeff Green shelf life. 
You know, I don't think what we saw for 20 or 30 games already coming is what we're getting out of Jeff Green all season. He's still only 31 years old, and he's a former first pick. A lot of people on the team have good relationships with him. Apparently, Kevin Durant was working out with him. He knows DJ, who's kind of one of the, you know, philosophical leaders on the team, not exactly with his play. And here's the thing I'm hanging my hat on, right? Yeah. Two years ago, the guy shot 36% from three-point range on two and a half makes and seven attempts. So very high volume, 36%. That was only two seasons ago on a bad team. You've seen it with Harden. Griffin is going to be able to check his watch, (laughs) fucking shave before he puts these shots up. Like he's going to have all the time in the world. Jeff Green has had open look after open look from the corner all season long. And I think Blake can be a much more competent I'm sitting around three-point shooter than people are giving him credit for. Mm. And I do think he has the opportunity, since he's only 31, to kind of pivot that way. So a lot of this success depends on if Blake Griffin is buying in to what exactly they need him to be, but I think he is. He's still a threat at the rim finishing, and we need a bigger body there that can realistically play the five. So... um I think it's low risk, and I'm excited about it. I just don't think he's going to play for a while. Yeah. I think uh, the rotation's pretty set. They're looking good, and I think they're going to take Durant and Blake super slow right now. Yeah, the key is the fact that they were able to get him on the veteran minimum, which is, I mean, that's just gravy. Now, what's one thing we talk about with the Nets all the time? The defense. This does not help you on the defense, end, but there's a couple more roster. I think one more roster spot, right? that they can kind of take care of that thing. So I'm not worried about that yet. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that this is going to be a decent signing for the Nets. I heard this crazy. Was he shooting around 40% from three Uh, with the Pistons? No, no, he's, he's never shot that high. I think a couple of years ago at 36% was as high as he might have been at 38% one other season. That was pretty low volume. So, to me, the only real indication of what he might be doing now is the 18-19 Pistons, which was just over 36% from three. Okay, but on still. Attempts, but though, still. On high volume. Yeah. So On a bad team, you know, like yeah. like who was playmaking and like he was taking step back three-pointers that right. year. Like now he's just going to be sitting around, you know, brushing his fucking teeth. But the thing that I've got one bone to pick with how people have reported this entire story. Can we stop? And I was guilty of this when I first started, too, because it's an amazing thing to sound super smart. Stop stressing about how he hasn't dunked since December 2019. We went through a five-month stretch where there was no basketball. He was on a bad team that I don't even think made it to Orlando. So that stretches out time a lot. Um, Blake's going to be a a good addition to the Nets. You know, you can't really criticize it too much, especially for the value. Right. And in Detroit, I mean, it's, you know, he wasn't dunking because he's sitting on the perimeter. He had his back to the basket. He wasn't taking people off the dribble anymore. There's no one to throw to him. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm not too concerned about that. Well, if you ask Chicago Bears wide receiver who will be Blake Griffin's newest teammate, he would report to you that DeAndre Drummond is he- he- heading to Brooklyn, which, okay. Um, but, Benny, where do you see this heading um the cavaliers we talked about this have kept him out uh, until they managed to find his next move where is drummond going to be driving down the lane next 
That one's trickier to me because yeah. he, he's in such a different. Andre Drummond's still looking to be a centerpiece. He's Why still do I always to be... want to call him DeAndre? Huh? I, oh, I, I, I always want to call him DeAndre Drummond. I, <laughs> yeah, no I heard that. I let it pass. <laughs> <laughs> but I think uh, I think he's still looking to be a centerpiece. He's still looking to get his next contract. And it's a much trickier scenario where he goes because I think at his age and what he has coming in the future, it's going to be a much harder sell for him to buy into a system. So I think more than likely with Drummond, we're going to see him go to a team just like Cleveland that may consider him an actual piece for the future. Uh, but I don't think Cleveland's going to manage to get much, very much back for him uh, at this point. Well, I think what's going to happen there is there's going to be some sort of buyout agreement here. Like, I don't think that, that they're going to manage to swing a trade here, which then that makes but, things very yeah. interesting because then what contender does he hop on to? Right. I know um, the Clippers have already kind of tried to gauge interest with, with Cleveland for him. They're trying to fill up that, that center position. Um, you know, the interesting player at the deadline, as they always are, is going to be the Boston Celtics. I mean, Danny Ainge had the chance to try to land miles turner and uh greg mcdermott last last offseason wasn't able to pull off that trade for gordon hayward kind of left with a a a void of post players there so it could be a interesting thing to kind of take them to the next level uh so that's kind of where i'm at with that in terms of contenders i don't think my bucks would make sense i uh i don't think your nets would really make sense for him um, I could see a depleted Lakers be like, hey, if you want to take a minimum, join the party. Come on over to the Forum Club. So, yeah, Andre Drummond, never know, but I think Clippers or Boston are a good landing spot potentially. See that. And then a newer name to come on to the market. Uh, Greg Popovich announced the other day that uh, LaMarcus Aldridge will no longer be part of the San Antonio Spurs going forward. Now, this could be a very interesting situation as we hear about teams that are going to be sellers at the deadline. I think that this could be a a chance for a team like Sacramento, who is already trying to you know hit the restart button. It feels like they do that once every couple years. Harrison Barnes for Aldridge is, is a trade that I've heard floating around. But once again, I'm going to say this. The Celtics are super desperate. They're trying to cl- climb in the Eastern Conference. They need a guy who can do some of the things that, that Aldridge at his prime can do. I think, you know, Celtics, for all the guys I'm going to mention at the deadline, would be a great spot. Well, yeah, and I think you keep mentioning the Celtics in uh, necessarily fit, but one of the reasons the Celtics always need to be brought up in these conversations is they're one of the few teams with, with all the assets to still make this happen. Yeah. They have a lot of flexibility. A lot of teams do not. Uh, I, for some reason, I'm not sure why the Kings don't seem to be sellers and they seem to still think that they're, uh, (laughs) contending this season. Yeah. Harrison Barnes and Buddy Heald both could get a fortune on the market right now. Mm. And I think the Kings are nuts to not trade those guys, but it looks like they're holding tight again. They seem like they're one of those teams that, uh, that would almost lease the future right now to just get into the playoffs again. Well, there are two kinds of teams. There's the teams that go about their business. Those teams often win. 
But man, that King's owner reads social media and he tries to take the temperature and he's making decisions on the future of the franchise based off of A, what his son thinks because his son has a huge voice in that franchise and what Twitter thinks. Never a good decision there. I agree. All right, final topic today. Benny, I don't know how well-versed you are in the royal family. I know that you've played probably a bunch of their fabulous venues over there for musically. Sure. But Harry the Prince, I've, why don't people ever refer to him as Harry the Prince? That just sounds fucking cooler. Anyway, cool. Harry and Meghan sat down with Oprah Winfrey after their departure from the royal family last year. They kind of set the record straight. The big takeaway from it is uh, insinuating what a lot of us have known for the, ro- for the longest time, that the royal family pretty racist and and having a lot of conversations about the skin tone of their baby and stuff like that so benny do you find these shocking or do you think it's only shocking because they're the royal family the only thing i'm shocked about is that i heard about it (laughs) like like that's what i'm shocked about the actual things that were happening behind closed doors I, i mean i am jack's utter lack of surprise you know what i mean and it even lends to every governmental conspiracy theory you've had about them for the last what 25 years since princess diana died so you know the idea that this happens the idea that there are people back there that are sort of puppet mastering the outside look of this thing yeah of course you know what i mean like the 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 royal family has been one of the biggest basically media empires for my entire life and it's huge i literally grew up with a a tin on my stove of charles and die why i'm not fucking english it was just because like this is this thing built into the narrative and we have this like great idea of it so i think you're looking at a fucking juggernaut and the idea that people behind the scenes are trying to micromanage how they're presenting what's happening there Well, it makes a lot of sense to me. So anything she said may or may not be true. How the fuck am I supposed to (laughs) know? But I thought their responses to it were extremely lukewarm (laughs) uh, and sort of your boilerplate uh, patching up kind of responses, which made me think even more that it was probably true. Um, So, yeah. And we'd be remiss to not bring up the big O in this as journalists here you know (laughs) we're journalists now (laughs) and she's oh my goodness yeah the queen like uh, i don't want to call her manipulative but fuck if that woman can't get anything out of any person in the world jesus she's good whether she was giving away cars or like shedding light on domestic (laughs) violence that show i mean that that show changed the game and changed a lot of the conversation um but back to the royal family no, I mean, the the one big takeaway that I had from this is actually hearing Harry admit that, yeah, the royals hold parties for the paparazzi every year mm-hmm. to kind of keep right. them relevant, which, man, I, I, th- I, I kind of feel like in the social media age, the royals should not need paparazzi. Like, if everybody else, if heck, if athletes can have their own platform, why can't the royals have their own platform to kind of speak to the people and, you know, maybe it kind of takes away from being all up on high as royals. But I feel like the people would 
appreciate you know like if like uh william and, and kate did like a podcast and they took emails <laughs> from the like like that'd be cool for people i feel like it would make them approachable it would make them modern i, I feel like we're the last three weeks into that podcast one of them disappears <laughs> for some shit they say you can't let them do a podcast I mean, let them talk freely for an hour without one of their handlers god knows god knows what they would give up there, there, there would be a uh there'd be another car accident in no time as long as it's sponsored by zip recruiter i think everybody would be okay <laughs> hiring no just kidding um no but i mean it's just like i'd love to hear prince harry <laughs> run like a squarespace ad that would crack me up. oh man hey it comes selling boner pills comes for everybody in this medium. I'm just to be excited for the royal version of them doing one of those companies. The royal penis is cleaned, <laughs> your highness. Oh man, can we talk about that movie for two seconds? Yeah, let's finish on coming to America too. Here. Oh my god, what a disappointment! We're coming to America. What a fucking yeah. disappointment! The, this right. movie. Here's what, here's what I told someone on text when they said they were about to watch it. Yeah, I said go ahead and lower your expectations. Yeah. And imagine that it's for a much younger person than us. Yeah. Because it is. Like, like the, the movie was framed around the new king. Yeah. And the new king just doesn't relate to a guy like me. I still relate to Eddie Murphy and the guys at the barbershop. So I'm trying to uh, see it like that because I like Eddie Murphy so much. Yeah. And I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. But yeah, it was pretty fucking bad. And there was one point about like an hour in where I was like, man, I want to turn this off. And I'm like, I can't. Out of respect yeah. to Eddie, I'm going to watch it all the way through. And I feel bad because everyone's kind of piling on Eddie. And everyone, people want him to be great so badly. I know. Uh, Dolomite was a great movie. He's in that in that later Carlin phase of his life where he's, where he has better material that is like socially conscious and, and, and can do all of this stuff that w everybody loves 80s Eddie. I mean, change the game for comedy, but it's like sometimes you got to just leave it in the past. It's true. It's true. All right. Well, we have a couple of uh, couple emails, couple tweets this week, and I just wanted to get into this. Thank you guys so much for listening. I want to get into... God, we haven't done an edition, but here is the tune-up mailbag. You've got mail. Nice to have a mailbag. It is nice to have a mailbag. All right, and I wanted to bring this up because, man, I'm out here driving on Saturday, you know, trying to make the most of it. Uh -huh. And uh, and we get a mail, a tweet, actually, from uh, bbirds22 on Instagram. Shout out to you. Thank you for listening. Thank He's you. like... Jesus and Mario go to White Castle is my nomination because last week we were talking about movies that we'd yeah. want to see. Jesus and Mario go to White Castle is my nomination. Great pod, although I almost turned it off after the Kingpin slander, to which <laughs> Benny Horowitz follows up with, almost once an episode, I mm -hmm. have a blatant disrespect for history. Kingpin yeah. is a cemented classic. And yeah. listen, if you want to get yourself canceled... By all means, go for it. But that movie, that movie, come the fuck on. Um, there are okay. I've, I've, in response to that, there are. The town of Scranton has been better represented in one, The Office, clearly. Number two, Ryan Gosling's Blue Valentine. Number three, Kingpin. What about the Menzingers? They're from Scranton. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, I had no idea about this. I've been to Scranton yeah. a couple times, to, you know. 
I think you should throw a uh, poll up. Yeah. Because I'm, you're going to see that the people oh, are on my side here. Like, you know? what people? It's kind of like that. The people. It, the people love Kingpin. I'm sorry. It's that it, it, It's that Rick and Morty line where, where you're like, I've seen what makes you boo. Why would I want to see what sees you cheer? <laughs> it's, it, it's fucking ridiculous. But then he comes at, at, at me for history. Yet, oh, forget it. Um, we have an email. We have an email to the tune-up podcast at gmail.com. Two P's in there. Don't forget it. Our guy, Neil. Shout out to Neil. Holding it down there in Virginia for us. He sends us a screenshot of uh, the NFT, as we talked about, of Jack Dorsey's first tweet fetches uh, $2.5 million. So the... The non-fungible token of Jack Dorsey's first ever tweet for Twitter. Uh, Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter, got $2.5 million. He writes, thought of you guys, old Jack going full, give me the loot on us. LOL. Thank (laughs) you, Wow, that's really interesting. Thanks, Neil. I didn't even hear about that. Yeah, right? That's wild. Fuck. That's a good thing I bought that crypto ETF, you know? Oh, I haven't updated you on Dogecoin in a while. Still at five cents. (laughs) So... Can't quite fund my movie yet, but I, I'm sure by the end Damn of the year it's going to be $1, yeah, and then, Benny, I'll take you out for a nice steak dinner. All right. <laughs> if you want to get into contact with the show, you can email us at the podcast at gmail.com. Two Ps in there. Don't forget it. Follow us on all the social platforms, the Tune-Up HQ, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We out here just trying to put a smile on your face as we wind down this pandemic. If you want to follow the big man, he is at Benny with one, number one in your mind, number one in your heart, number one on Twitter. Soon to be number one on the radio. Can't wait for that. Um, I am at Denny underscore Gallagher. Benny, you got anything else? Just listen. It's an important day, an important year. Everyone move ahead well, eyes forward. Everybody love everybody. You've been listening to The Tune-Up.